Well, good morning, church. I am happy to be here this morning. I praise him for all of his goodness. I'll have to relay with uh, Keith. I did a little bit of flipping myself through scriptures this week, trying to come up with a message. It went one direction and then another, and uh, this is the way it landed. I do realize that I have a very high bar set for me by, by Gloria releasing you early last week, so I'm going to try my best to hold to a good line and not ramble too much, but uh, if, if I were to give this message a title this morning, it would be entitled, What Are You Looking At? And as a little bit of a preface, I appreciate the power and the importance of God's Word do we recognize and appreciate the life-changing, soul-stirring, nurturing, saving, sanctifying power contained in the Word of God? Well, Matthew 13, Jesus gives a little parable. This is just a prelude to the sermon, okay? This is, this is just a prelude. He, he gave a parable, and his disciples said, what's this parable all about? And then he explained it, and then he asked them a question. He said, Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. What was he talking about? He was talking about being able to walk hand in hand with the Son of God himself. So many previous prophets, Abraham, David, Isaiah, had prophesied about this, had spoken about this Messiah, and never had the opportunity to see him and walk with him face to face. But the disciples had an opportunity to walk with Jesus hand in hand. And we can today through his word, can't we? And so that's what I want to focus on this morning, the voice of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. And uh, again, the title, what are you looking at? Well, the, the scripture tells us many times to think about our vision. What is your vision? You probably hear this in the business world too. What's your vision? Cast a vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, my people perish for a lack of vision. Isaiah 6, 9 says, you shall be ever seen but never perceiving a lack of vision. Jesus told his disciples when they said, the crowds are too much, send them away. Jesus said, open your eyes. The fields are white. And to harvest, look. Jesus also said about John the Baptist, what did you expect to see when you went out to see this guy? A guy dressed in fine clothes? Originally, that's what the message was about. The disciples said, Lord, look at this beautiful temple we're walking by. Jesus said, see these stones? Every single one of them be thrown down. Look ahead. And then finally, Philip, in the close circle, in the last few days of Jesus' life, said, Jesus, show us the Father and that'll be enough. Jesus said, hello, look right here. I'm standing in your presence. Open your eyes. And so the scriptures are filled with God's admonition for us to see, to have a vision. But have a vision of what? What are we to have a vision of? Well, I want us to look at a chapter in Jesus' ministry. If you want to turn in your Bibles, it's John chapter 9. We're going to begin there at the first verse. Let's stand as we read the first Five verses of that. Please stand with me. John chapter 9. John's chapters paint a beautiful, beautiful series of portraits about Christ's life here on the earth. And John 9 is no exception. It may well be titled, Jesus, the Light of the World. Beginning in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And he told his disciples, his disciples asked him, Rabbi? 
Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the light within our lives. and You want to reveal some truths to us this morning? Help us, Father, to have open hearts, open minds, open ears, and open eyes as we explore your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. By the way, I, I will share you, I've had a few nervous things lately. My mom started chewing on electrical cords. I had to ground her. She's doing better currently, learning how to conduct herself properly. Love you, Mom. <laughs> We're reading through this scripture, and we see Jesus and his disciples... There just, it seems like a lot of things that Jesus did were ambling around, but they are very directed and very specific. And he comes upon a blind man, and they just basically congregate around this blind man and stop for Jesus' directions. And they ask a very simple question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Point number one, if you're a note taker, I'll tell you the points, okay? Point number one, bad things happen to everyone. But Jesus knows, has a plan, and is coming for a visit right where you are to bring about something awesome. For Martin Luther, it was a violent lightning strike in a thunderstorm. For John Newton, it was a violent storm at sea. For John Wesley, it was an utterly failed venture to attempt mission work in what is now America. For Johnny Erickson Tata, it was total paralysis at 16 years old. For Fanny Crosby, it was blindness. For Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Eric Liddell, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Harlan Popoff, and others, it was concentration camps. For Chuck Colson, it was prison. For Ben Carson and George Mueller, it was extreme poverty. For Paul, it was persecutions, beatings, prisons, and constant thorn in the flesh. And for Joseph, it was being sold by his brothers and imprisoned twice. So you have to ask yourself the question, well, what about your situation? Do you face things that overwhelm you? Let me assure you, God wants to work in your infirmities, your failures, your illnesses, your trials, and your mistakes. Point number two, we all make ill-informed assumptions about others without thinking or love. Let me read that again. We all make ill-informed assumptions about others without thinking or love. You school teachers are like this. On the first day of school, children brought gifts for their teacher. The supermarket manager's daughter brought the teacher a basket of fruit. The florist's son brought the teacher a bouquet of flowers. The candy store owner's daughter brought the teacher a pretty box of candy. Then the liquor store owner's son brought up a big, heavy box with a liquor label. The teacher lifted it up and noticed it was leaking a little bit. So she touched a drop of the liquid with her finger and tasted it. Is it wine? No, the boy said. She tasted another drop, said, is it champagne? No, the little boy said, it's a puppy. 
Making assumptions can have problems, can't they? (laughs) And think of the blind man for a moment. Jesus and his disciples are standing in front of him. He can hear them. And they blurt out, hey, Jesus, who sinned? In the checkout line, the drive-through, the stoplights, the bank window, at school, at the workplace, at the restaurant, we analyze before we know anything about people, don't we? And further, many people just blurt it out without thinking before engaging their brains. I've been guilty of that myself. One of our problems today is that we think of quick judgment via eight-second sound bites. We make judgments based on what we see or hear in the flash of a moment. Please take time to pray and watch and think about what you see. Think about this. The blind man was abandoned by his parents to begging. Just this alone should move us to tears. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. And do not conform to the pattern of this world, the eight-second sound bites, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Boy, there's a lesson for today, isn't there? But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Someone shared a card last week. Thank you, Gloria, if you're watching remotely. With Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What is the desire of God's heart if we take delight in Him? Well, Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in mercy. When we see people in those situations, do we see them through the eyes of mercy or do we see them through the eyes of an eight-second soundbite? Point number three, everything happens to a believer for God's glory. Keep that as the main focus. Why are we here as a church? If you were to tell others about your church, what would you share? A great pastoral family who loves his church? A great worship, music, and song service? A growing children's ministry? A fantastic youth program? A local ministry to those in need? The most important thing about our church is none of these. Although I am very thankful for each one and every one of these, I am, they are only supporting elements for one item. The most important thing about our church is that Jesus wants to transform your life by opening your eyes in his time. And his time is now. He is here amidst our misconceptions, doubts, uncertainties, flaws, limited thinking, and weaknesses to do what he does best, to seek and to save that which is lost. And this is all for the glory of God. Israel Iafor said, You may pray to God to remove the hills on your way and fill every pothole on your path, but don't be surprised if God gives you a shovel to do so. Skipping on down to verse 6 in that chapter, he said, After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, 
wash in the pool of Siloam, that means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Point number four, Jesus doesn't always the work, work the way we want him to, but he didn't ask us to understand just to go and obey. He could have simply waved his hand, spoke a word, or just touched the man. But what did he do? He did something that was considered very improper. He spit, made mud, and smeared it on the man's eyes, and then told him to go walk through the streets. How would you feel if someone did this to your child, or you, if you were blind? Would you be receptive to further instructions? It couldn't get any lower than a being blind with spit-filled mud in your eyes. But Jesus didn't promise, and Jesus didn't promise him his sight back. He just said, go wash. He sent the man, and the man obeyed, and it really was that simple. He came back seeing. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had firm, formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. He himself insisted, I am the man. Point number five, when we obey Jesus, awesome things happen whether others see it or not. Neighbors didn't believe it. Regulars said, nah, just looks like that guy. Religious leaders didn't believe it because Jesus was from Galilee. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The council threw him out. He got healed on a Sabbath. That's against the law. His parents distanced themselves from it, but it happened. And he said, I'm the man. It happened to me, praise God. Keith Gordon Green was born in 1953. From the moment he could talk and walk, his bold personality, musical talents, and zest for life drew an audience. His mom, a former big band singer, nurtured her son's giftedness. By age two, he had already appeared on several television commercials. By age eight, critics were giving him rave reviews for his onstage performances. At age 11, any 11-year-olds here? No. <laughs> At age 11, he had already written 50 original songs. He landed a five-year contract at age 11 with Decca Records. By the time he reached his early teens, Time Magazine had dubbed him Hollywood's newest dreamboat and predicted that he would soon become America's next teen heartthrob. Much to Keith's disappointment, a new superstar captured America's full attention and stole his chance at the spotlight. Anybody remember who that was? Donnie Osmond. How many have no clue that name? <laughs> How many have never heard that name before? Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, disillusioned and depressed, Keith ran away from home at age 15 to find the meaning of life. His journey initially led him into the hippie movement where he experimented with free love, Eastern mysticism, and drugs. Those pursuits left him lost and confused more than ever. In 72, while under the influence of a psychedelic drug, he had a vision that frightened him so badly, he swore he'd never use drugs again, but he turned to philosophy for answers. All the while, he continued playing the piano and sang in clubs to earn a living. He continued to record his music and search for the perfect label while cultivating an audience of devoted fans in hopes of regaining the stardom he'd lost. 
He frequently performed at famous cafes with comedians like Robin Williams and Dave Matthews. Around this time, he met a vibrant young singer-songwriter and clothing designer named Melody Steiner. Melody was also searching for spiritual truth. They fell in love, and within a year they were married and continued their quest together. But then into their circle came a good friend, Randy Stonehill. Randy Stonehill invited Keith and Melody to attend a Bible study. They were initially hesitant. Both had thoroughly studied the New Testament as part of their spiritual searching and were already huge fans of Jesus Christ, but having visited many churches, might I say in their bell bottoms, their beards, and their bare feet more than likely, they just didn't like the way the Christian faith rightly reflected the Jesus they saw in the Bible. But after multiple invitations, the couple finally attended a Bible study by Pastor Ken Gullickson of Vineyard Christian Fellowship, and that meeting proved to be a divine appointment. Keith accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior on their first visit, and Melody on the second. Shortly thereafter, Keith penned a song about the experience. He said, like a foolish dreamer trying to build a highway to the sky, all my hopes would come tumbling down, and I never knew just why. Until today, when you pulled away the clouds that hung like curtains on my eyes, well, I've been blind all these wasted years, and I thought I was so wise, but then you took me by surprise. All my life, I'd been searching for that crazy missing part, and with one touch, you just rolled away the stone that held my heart. And now I see that the answer was as easy as just asking you in. And I am so sure I could never doubt your gentle touch again. It's like the power of the wind, like waking up from the longest dream, how real it seemed until your love broke through. I've been lost in a fantasy that blinded me until your love broke through, your love broke through. Well, shortly thereafter, he did something that might can seem radical. They're just new believers. They began taking people in who needed help into their small home in Los Angeles. Both were singer-songwriters for CBS Records, used their income to support all who came. Their home was later dubbed the Greenhouse, a place where people grow. They continued to open their home to mostly strangers. They eventually ran out of space, purchased the home next door, and renting an additional five homes in the neighborhood, seven altogether, they provided a safe environment of Bible studies and practical discipleship to young and old alike. The majority were teenagers and of college age. Much to the consternation of their neighbors, there came to be 75 people living in Green's homes and traipsing up and down the suburban streets including recovering drug addicts, prostitutes, bikers, the homeless, and many single pregnant girls needing shelter and safety. Some were referred to the Greens, but most just crossed their path during their normal life at home and on the road. What an impact. What a change it made in their lives. Keith released six albums prior to his untimely death in a plane crash in 1982. How many remember that when it happened? I was on college campus at Indiana State University when I heard that news in 1982. He was 28, and he died with two of his four children in the plane with him. Another 16 albums of Keith's have been released posthumously, 
And the last day's ministries he started with Melody still continues 40 years later in California. What an impact, like opening the eyes of a blind man. Skipping down there in the scripture to verse 24. Now you get to meet the church people of the time. The blind man was called in, and they quizzed him. Then they quizzed him a second time, and in verse 24 it says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. The man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Point number six, keep the message simple. Sometimes we make things a lot more confusing than they have to be. It reminds me of the story. A man was flying in a hot air balloon and realized he was lost. He reduced his height and spotted a man down below. He lowered the balloon and shouts, excuse me, can you help me? I promised my friend I would meet him a half an hour ago, but I don't know where I am. The man below says, yes, you are in a hot air balloon hovering 30 feet above the field. You are between 40 and 41 degrees north latitude and between 58 and 59 degrees west latitude, longitude. The balloonist said, you must be an engineer. I am, replies the man. How did you know? Well, says the balloonist, everything you have told me is technically correct, but I have no idea what to make of your information, and the fact is I'm still lost. The man below says, well, you must be a manager. The balloonist says, I am, but how did you know? He says, well, says the man, you don't know where you are or where you're going. You have made a promise you have no idea how to keep. You expect me to solve your problem. The fact is you're in the exact same position you were in before we met, but now it's somehow my fault. Philip Bliss wrote it this way, another man who died at a very young age in an accident. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin, like sunshine at noonday his glory shone in. No darkness have we who in Jesus abide, we walk in the light when we follow our guide. Ye dwellers in darkness with sin-blinded eyes, go wash, like the blind man, at his bidding and light will arise. Come to the light, tis shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see the light of the world is Jesus. It's that simple. So what is the central message of Christianity? Well, C.S. Lewis said it best, I believe, in mere Christianity. He said, "Do not." Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself to Jesus, and you will find your real self. Lose your life in his love, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. If you look for answers within your own capabilities and sinful nature, you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else joyous and wonderful thrown in.
Verse 34 of the, of the scripture. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth to the blind man. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. He got thrown out of church for telling the truth. Jesus heard about it. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Point number seven, when Jesus shows up, praise him, even if it's just you and him. The year was 1932, and radio was the great means of communication. Pastor Alfred Ackley was getting ready to go to his church in California. It's Easter morning, and he turns on his radio as he shaves. The voice of a liberal preacher from New York came on the radio. Good morning, friends. It's Easter Sunday morning. It really doesn't make any difference to me if Christ arose or not. All that matters is that his truth is marching on. Alfred shouted, it's a lie! And Mrs. Ackley then heard her husband shouting and said, why are you shouting? Anybody else yell at the TV or the radio or anything? No? Okay. <laughs> he said, did you hear what that good-for-nothing preacher said on the radio? That's the second time this week I've heard comments like this. She said, you've got to get ready for church, dear. You'll be late. Well, he got to church, and he was fired up, ready to preach. And by the time he had gone through the congregational singing, he could hardly wait for the announcements to be done. Sitting on the edge of the seat, he was ready to run to the pulpit and preach his sermon. He preached a sermon on the resurrection of Christ like no one had ever heard before. And those brave enough to come back on Sunday night heard another sermon on the resurrection. But after church Sunday night... Mrs. Ackley was fixing supper, and she hears footsteps pacing back and forth in the living room. Looking around, she said, what's wrong now, Alfred? Alfred said, I still haven't said all that I want to say about the resurrection. She said, listen, Alfred, why don't you do what you do best? Why don't you write a song about the resurrection? And that way, long after you're gone, the story, the song can still tell the story. Sat, sitting down, reading his Bible in Mark chapter 16, he sat in one session and wrote the entire song, and it goes like this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his appearing will come at last. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good, and so kind. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Bad things happen to everyone, but Jesus knows, has a plan, and is coming for a visit right where we are to bring about something awesome. We all make ill-informed assumptions about others without thinking or without love. Everything happens to the believer for God's glory. Keep that as the main focus. Jesus doesn't always work the way we want him to. 
But he didn't ask us to understand, just to obey and go. When we obey Jesus, awesome things happen, whether others see it or not. Keep the message simple. Once I was blind, now I can see. Whenever Jesus shows up, praise him, even if it's just you and him. Let's all stand this morning. I was kind of at a loss for which way to go with this, but I, I want to make this a challenge this morning. What do you see when you come into church? You know, m many people would just wander in and say, well, I see seats, I see people, I see this, I see that. Yeah, I see so-and-so, I know them, I'm, I've got something to tell them. But when you see this body of believers, do you see the potential that God has given us? Do you see that God has a greater vision even to come? That he wants to cast a broader net and reach even more? And I want to ask you this morning to pray that God casts a greater vision within your life and then follow that up with a question. Lord, what's my role? What's my role? What would you have me to do in order to help others to see we're living in a blind world, folks, aren't we? We're living in a world that is very blind in very, very numerous aspects. God is calling us to share truth into their lives. Ask him personally, Lord, what would you have me to do? Whatever role that might be. And then listen and have him speak through his word into your life that role that he wants you to have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. It's our story. Lord, it's all of our stories that have accepted you as Lord and Savior. Father, we're thankful that you saw us in our blind condition, that you opened our eyes, that you gave us a hope and a, and a soul cleansing from sin and a direction within our lives and, and a purpose and a meaning. We are so thankful, Father for the gospel of Christ. Lord, help us as we sing our last song here and reflect during the day. Lord, help us to, to pray to you and ask for your vision, not our vision, not what we see, not what we think, but what you think, Father, what you would have us to do, and then move forward in faith and claim that within our lives to be a minister of the gospel in some wonderful way. We love you, Father. We thank you. We know there's a plan for each and every one that you have. Reveal it to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Happy that you've chosen to listen to our sermon today on the platform of your choice. We at Cory Community Church of the Nazarene continue to honor our calling to be kingdom people. We rely upon the gift of the fellowship and community to equip each other to fulfill our mission of reflecting the love of Christ to all those that God has placed within our lives. We welcome you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. in Cory, Indiana, just south of State Road 46. God bless.